Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. I love the Bible, amen? Amen. I'm excited about, about Scripture. Like I said, I have been going pretty hard. Uh, over this last day. Last year, I did the shred in 10 days, and this year, I just, I can't decide, am I going to do it in 10 or 9? I'm I'm competing with myself right now. I think I'm going to go for 9 this year, and so I got a little head start yesterday. I love the Bible. I love watching the way that God prospers people in Scripture and the uniqueness of their stories. It's pretty cool. It's pretty unique. As you see, the the trend of the faithfulness of God woven through the different lives of people. Like Abraham, for instance, who, who sort of starts with nothing but a promise, and God gives him a promise, and as a result of that promise, he goes, I'm gonna make you into the father of many nations. You are going to affect the world forever. And, uh, and, and Abraham's old at the time, and he's slowly, it seems, kind of adding to his, his, his holdings, but it's not crazy significant. In fact, at one point in time, uh, there's a, a war that breaks out and he comes with all of the people in his, in his whole household, and there's 318 of them, and none of them are related to him because he has no kids. So he's got 318 employees. Like he, He's a medium-sized business owner. He's not even a big corporation owner at this time, and God just keeps on promising him, no, no, I'm going to use you. He's like, well, I got 318. God's like, no, no. Count the stars, Abraham. Look up and count the stars. That's how many descendants I'm going to give you. And he's like, yeah, but my servant from Damascus is my heir. And God goes, don't worry about that. I got a son for you. And his son is born when he's 100 years old. That's awesome. Betty White. May she rest in peace. 99. Almost almost made it to 100 this week. 100 years old, he has his first. He has his son, the son of his promise. And then he, he keeps on living, just keeps on going. And he able, he, God prospers him in such an amazing way. And then you see Isaac. Isaac, he comes, the, the, this son of Abraham whose dad was 100 years old. You learn different things when you have an old dad. When you have a young dad or an old dad, you kind of learn different things. I know because I've got both. I got some kids who have a young dad and some kids who have an old dad. Kezia's got a young dad. Crux has got a bit of an older dad. It's just the way it is in in our family. But you learn different different skills from different people. Well, Isaac had an old dad. He had a 100-year-old dad. And uh, one of the things he learns is some craftiness. He's in this one place with he and his wife. He's like, man, babe, you're so hot. I'm pretty scared they're probably going to kill me so they can take you. Could you just tell everyone that you're my sister? It's a very weird marital conversation to have, right? Really strange, really awkward. Where did he learn that from? His dad. It was like a weird family prank that they pulled a few times. And uh, so there's Isaac with his wife. They're in this area. There's like a man named Abimelech who's the king, and, and, and Isaac's like, yeah, she's my sister. And after a little while, the king's like, yeah, you're really close with your sister though, Right? I don't think, he, it says he, he, he sees him sharing a caress with his wife. He's like, nobody talks to their sister that way. And he goes, you guys are married, right? He's like, well, yeah, we're married. He's like, why didn't you just tell me? That's awkward. And then it says from there, in that time, the king goes, hey, I, that was just a weird interaction. I don't know why you thought I was going to kill you or anything. Just take some money, okay? And he just hooks him up. 
And then it says, and Isaac became wealthy, and he went on from there to become very rich. He went from, or he, he went from rich to very wealthy. And part of that story for him was just this weird, awkward interaction. Then you've got Jacob. Jacob is Isaac's son. And, and Jacob, he falls in love with a girl. And, uh, and, and he asks this girl's father, is there any way I can marry your daughter? Like, I really feel this vibe, this connection. And he goes, yeah, there's a way. But you'd have to work for me for seven years. He goes, no problem. Happy to do it. She's a little young for me right now anyway, but I see a great future there. So he works seven years, and at the end of seven years, the dad's like, awesome. We're so excited to have you as our son-in-law. Welcome to the wedding. And he does a little switcheroo and gives Jacob Leah instead of Rachel, the older sister with weak eyes. And, uh, and, and there's no electricity in the time, so the lights are a little low. Jacob doesn't realize until the morning. He wakes up and goes, ah! And it's Leah. When he's like, you, how did you? And the dad's like, no problem. I'll give you Rachel too. This is weird. He's like, you just have to work seven more years. And Jacob goes, easy, happy to do it. Like, how hot was Rachel? Right? He's worked seven years. He's like, no problem. Seven more. Happy to do it. It says it was like a day to him. And so he works for 14 years. At the end of the 14 years, he's like, sayonara, Laban. I'm out of here, father-in-law, you liar. And then he goes, well, how about you work for me a little longer? And, uh, and if you do, I'll share some of what I have with you. And then it, it goes on to explain Jacob's tricks. Jacob's like, cool. Why don't you give me all of your sheep that have spots and stripes on them? And, uh, and Laban's like, yeah, that's cool. And so Jacob figures out that when, when the sheep are in mating season, if he put artistic pieces like sticks with the shavings off of them, they would have spotted babies. Maybe he figured out some science. I don't know. But whatever it is, Jacob trusts the science. And he follows it, and all of a sudden, God's just hooking him up. And he's got all of the, all of the, the flocks that were his father-in-law's are his. And it says God blesses him. Isn't that crazy? that God just uses different things to bless different people. And then Jacob's got 12 sons, and they all have kind of different stories. There's some awkwardness in their family dynamic. I get excited when I read in the Bible that God can work through awkward families, don't you? That God can work through sordid past. He can work through broken people. And, and one of his sons, Joseph, is a dreamer. And in fact, starting next week, we're going to start a series of messages on the life of Joseph. It's called Dreamer. I think it's going to be great for you. Don't miss it. you got to be here next week as we talk about God reinstating dreams in our heart. And you got Joseph, part of his story. He goes to his brothers. He's like, I had this crazy dream last night. In my dream, I was better than all of you. And they're like, keep dreaming, bro. So they sell him into slavery. He ends up in prison. He has this crazy broken story. Oh, and it results in him being the governor of Egypt, the ruler of the known world. So much so that when his brothers come and go, we were wrong. He's like, don't worry about it. You had a, bad, a plan for evil, but God sent me here for good. It was all God all along. I say all that to say this, that God's got a plan for us. God's got a story for us. God's working through some things that seem maybe a little bit interesting right now. God might, might still be at work in your life even though you feel like you've been waiting a long time. God might still be in your life even though you, you live with some intimidation or some anxieties, kind of like Isaac did, like, ah, they might kill me because of you. Just say we're sis that we're brother and sister. God can still work in your life even if up until this point 
You've tried to control things and hold them in your own hands the way that Jacob did. God may still be working in your life, even like jo- if, like Joseph, you feel like everyone else has abandoned you or people have disappointed you or the system has let you down. You need to know God's still at work and he wants to do something in your life. And today I want to share a, a message and I don't do this super often, but this is a, it's an old message. In fact, I was looking through some old notes, and this message has got to be at least 15 years old. Like, it's real old. And I know it's really old because I was reading at the beginning of notes. I don't often even preach from notes anymore. I used to 15 years ago. But at the beginning of these notes, it, said, uh, it says intro. You could talk about Kezia giggling over finding a bag of chips. Now, Kezia is almost 18. She doesn't giggle over chips anymore. This was a long time ago. And uh, I even talked about, like, Kezia had just this particular week that I, I first preached this message. She had learned how to finally spit out her toothpaste, which if you're teaching your kids how to brush their teeth, it takes a while. For a while, they just can't help. They just down it. And, uh, and, and so we're talking a long time ago. So the, the stories are old. But the truth remains. And that's the incredible thing about Scripture is that the stories of our life pass, but the truth of God's word remains. And I was reading through these notes. I'm like, ooh, that applies to our lives right now. It was, for whatever reason, real and relevant 15 years ago, still applies. And the, the longer you study Scripture, the more you find that it is evergreen. It's without season. The, the scripture endures. The word of God remains. And so I want to share with you an old message today that I think has some timeless virtue to it. Is that okay? Okay for everyone? If you take notes, you can just write reality check on the top of your page. Reality check. Great title. Great title. <laughs> reality check. I love, I love uh, engaging in stories that seem plausible, that have a... a thread of reality woven through them. I have a hard time engaging with stories that just don't make any sense. I, I'm not much of a sci-fi fan. I can't get there. I, I can't get, I try, I just can't get there. People like, oh, you gotta see this great movie. It's awesome. There's just like, there's this vortex of like, like the sky opens and then some things happen and then it's crazy, these powers. And, and I'm like, man, I, like I'll try, try to get there. I just have a hard time getting there because it doesn't feel plausible. In fact, like when I watch Home Alone, I'm like, ah, no one can take that many hits to the head. It's just not really very realistic, you know? Like, like why do these guys want to rob that house that bad? You know? And I watch them like, oh, yeah, it just doesn't feel real. I'm a bit of a downer to watch a movie like that with because it just doesn't feel real. But I can get lost in a story that feels real. When I go, ooh, that's what, I think that's what I would do in that situation. That's how I would respond to that situation. Would I respond in that way. It's why I love reading, reading scripture because though it is uh, incredible and remarkable, there are so many evidences of brokenness in people that it, it makes it real. Like, like any other author, if they had to say, like King David, for instance, who was the leader of the known world, and he goes on to tell his life story, and he leaves in all the bad parts. And we might not, right? Like we might try to polish out our weaknesses to present only our strengths. Maybe, maybe somebody here, you know, you, you have a dating profile somewhere and you've done some creative editing 
to make sure that only the highlights remain. Not David. David just puts it all in there. He just puts it all out there. He's got emotional issues. Man, he, he, he has character flaws. He's not a great dad. Like, he really is not. He, he has some really bad parenting moves. But it's all in there. And as I read it, I'm like, oh, man, I, I can get David. I get David. I get Peter. Are you with me? You see someone like Peter? I get Peter. He just feels real. Peter, he's like having these huge high moments where he goes, I figured it out. Guys, guys, Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is like, dude, that's awesome. I hadn't even told you that yet. You heard from God. He's like, whoo. I heard from God? Yeah, you heard from God. I'm a fisherman. Take that, Mrs. Johnson. He's thinking back to his, you know, his grade four teacher who never saw anything in him. He's like, wow. Wow. In fact, history would say that at some point, not Mrs. Johnson, it would have been a rabbi, would have come and tapped Peter on the shoulder and say, you seem like more of a fisherman. I don't think you're going to make it in the whole rabbinic circles. Why don't you go learn a trade? For each of the disciples, by the way, they would have had that experience where they just didn't get invited back to the next level. So when Jesus came and found them, he's like, hey, do you guys want to be my disciples? Like, yes. Yeah. It was so awkward when we got to the back of the room. We find who's, who made the team and we looked down and then my name wasn't there and Thaddeus seemed to make it and Malachi made it and not me and I'm a fisherman. You want me to be your disciple? Yeah. And then he's got this huge moment. And then the next moment, Jesus is like, okay, guys. Are we ready? Let's head to Jerusalem. And Peter goes, no, Lord, let's not go to Jerusalem. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm the one who hears from God. And Jesus is like, nah, now you're hearing from Satan. Get behind me. Shut up, Peter. I love seeing just that, the realness of the characters of Scripture. I, I get them. You know what I mean? I get them. Have you ever had uh, like a harsh reality check in life where you try to do something that you used to be able to do and it doesn't come as natural as it used to come? Have you ever had a reality check in life? Where you go back and engage in a nostalgic event, and it's just not as good as you thought it was? You go back, oh, man, we got this old, you know, kids, got to take you to this old restaurant. Woo, they make the best burgers in town. And then you're going, oh. Has anyone noticed that, like, fast food's gotten smaller as you've gotten older? Come on, that's, that's got to be true, right? Cheeseburgers used to be bigger. Donuts used to be bigger. It's all shrinking. Have you ever had those reality checks? Anyone ever been at like a point of sale where you go and you tap your card? <laughs> machine must be broken. And then you read that it wasn't an error in the machine and there's actually just nothing in the account. And you have that reality check like, oh, yeah, carry the four. Mm. You don't have a reality check? I think it's important for us from time to time to have reality checks, where instead of just going about the things we were always doing and, and making you know, a series of decisions based on our last decision, where we break it down to its essential parts and we go, is this still true? Does this last? Does this endure? In the book of Colossians, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives a big reality check. A big reality check to those who are listening. Colossians chapter 2, he's writing to a group of people who had made it their business to be good people. 
They'd made it their business to make good decisions. In fact, they had gone above and beyond making sure they kept every rule they could think of. History would say they added some extra rules because they got really into following rules. They loved their rules. And uh, we see in Colossians chapter 2, down into verse 16, Paul says this. Therefore, don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals or new moon celebrations or Sabbath days. Let let me give some context to this. There was like good people and then great people and then the super holy people. And the super holy people, they were like, we keep all of the old festivals just to make sure. You can check my calendar. It's all color-coded. There's just stuff happening all the time, just me being holy checking off all the boxes. And so these people were coming into Colossae where people had just found Jesus and they're like, whoa, I'm not a sinner anymore. Oh man, I don't have any guilt anymore. (laughs) It's amazing. I know my purpose. I have joy. Like, yeah, but do you follow the festivals? Like, I didn't even know about the festivals. Like, well, let me educate you on how to be more holy. I don't know if you got a friend like that in your circle. Lose that friend, okay? They're no friend of yours. And Paul essentially is coming and said, guys, 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 before you miss it and you get so stuck in trying to be good, you're going to m- miss the whole point. I just want to give you a little reality check. He goes, don't let anyone judge you for those things. Instead, these, you need to understand, verse 17, these are shadows of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Reality check is found in Christ. Jesus, where do you stand with Jesus? How's your relationship with Jesus? Where are you at right now? For some, a new year means new festivals. A new year, you're like, oh, I gotta go and fill my calendar. All my goals, all my resolutions, all my intentions, all, you would give different names to them because we failed at resolutions, right? I have some intentions for this year. Some, some crafted plans, you know? Some artisanal ideas, instead of just calling them what it is. But we go in and we're like, okay, I gotta try to be more disciplined and do more things and be the right person. And Paul's like, that's cool, but don't let anyone judge you, okay? When it comes down to it, reality comes in Jesus. Everything that you see in the festival keeping and the sacrificial system and all the, the antiquity is actually just pointing to the person of Jesus who brought completion to all that. And then in, in chapter three, it says this, In keeping in that same train of thought, he says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just a little reality check. Set your hearts and your minds on things above. Don't let your heart be troubled by the things happening in the world around you. Don't let the best part of your mind be engaged in thinking about all all the details of what's happening around you. Set the best part of your life, your heart and your mind, on things above. Reality comes in Jesus. I wonder if over the last two years, if one of the greatest disappointments hasn't been that the best of hearts and minds have been engaged on the wrong things. I wonder if I were to be honest and look back over the consistency of my own heart and mind over the last two years, 
if it would often enough be set on things above and not on earthly things. I wonder if, if the best of my emotional capacity has been spent on things above and not wasted on, on foolish, trite arguments. I saw, maybe along with a lot of other people, a headline recently that, that a fact checker was just an opinion. Yeah, we knew that. We need a reality check from time to time to set our heart on the right things. I promise you this. In the year that is to come, there will be more competition for your emotion than ever before and more competition for your attention than ever before. But the Apostle Paul says this, set your heart, that's your emotion, and your mind, that's your attention, on things above. Make truth your focus. Make the truth of God's word, that enduring truth, your focus, and you're going to grow this year. St. Augustine said this, when regard for truth has been broken down, even slightly weakened, all things remain doubtful. Haven't we felt that? When a regard for truth is weakened, everything seems to be in doubt. There's a lot of people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your sphere of influence who feel like everything's just doubtful. I don't know anything anymore because a regard for truth has been broken. Look what A.W. Tozer said. He says this, an unattended garden will soon be overrun with weeds. A heart that fails to cultivate truth and to root out error will shortly be a theological wilderness. If you could, for the next few minutes, just engage with me in thinking of your heart as a garden. And Tozer says this, we need to make it our job to cultivate truth and to weed out error. To build our life on what is really true. To not put the best of our emotion and our attention towards going down rabbit hole, but what if this were true and what if that? It's not. So build your life on Jesus. Your life has now been hidden in Christ. Reality comes in Jesus. And do a bit of a reality check. Do you know it was Jesus who said this in John chapter 8? That, that we can know the truth and in doing so experience the truth or the freedom, I should say, that comes from truth. In John eight thirty one and 32, he says this, if you hold to my teaching, like if you actually do the stuff that the Bible says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The desire of God, the heart of God for you and I is to live in freedom. You need to not think you're weird because you like freedom, okay? That doesn't make you crazy. That doesn't make you weird. Uh, on a, a list of, of personal values, uh, freedom might be one through five for me. I really like being free. I like doing the thing I feel like doing right now. Don't tell me stuff and make me, I don't like getting backed into a corner. I really like freedom. And it's actually God's heart for you and I that we'd live in freedom. But freedom is attached to reality. I, I saw the other day this sign and it said, it said, uh, oh, what was, the, what was the terminology? It was so, uh, so intellectually dishonest that it was hard for me to find a spot for it. It said, uh, VR in real life. 
Virtual reality in real life. It's like, yeah, just throw some words together, mash them up, make a shake. There you go. VR in real life is like, wow, real life VR. What? Real life virtual life. What? It, it, it's, it's insanity. You are not crazy for wanting to live free. It's actually the heart of God for you, but freedom has to be linked to truth. Freedom that's not actual reality isn't freedom at all. It's just a different type of bondage. There's people who might be living thinking they're, they're free, but if they're not living according to the truth, they're actually stuck. That's what the Bible would, would say. When we do the thing that feels right to us, it leads to death. That's true of all humanity. When we just follow our heart, Jeremiah says it is a reckless evil, and it only ever lies to us. Oh, man, so many good rom-coms out the window. Just follow your heart. It lies to you. We need to find a truth that actually is more enduring than that. Jesus implies or actually declares that his, his truth, his teaching, is the key to freedom. So I want to make you a promise this year, okay? I want to make you a promise. Not only will there be more uh, fighting for your attention and your emotion than ever before, I want to promise you this, that if you show up and you come ready, I'm going to do my very best, and our, our team of pastors, leaders, we're going to do our very best to always bring truth. I promise you. I promise you. I don't want to just say things that people want to hear. Certainly don't, don't want people to gather so that they might be entertained or appeased. And I really don't want Sunday to become a festival or a new moon or a ritual that you keep and you miss Jesus. If you show up, I'm going to do my best to bring truth, okay? Unadulterated, unmixed, just the truth of God's word. Let's look at it. Let's see what it says. Let's see what it means, and let's do something with it. I want to challenge you this year. Be here 52 times. Why not? Like, be consistent. Be consistent. How do you consistently cultivate truth in your life and weed out error? Is you put yourselves in environments where truth is proclaimed. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to declare truth to you this year. And the Bible says that if we would live by it, we'd actually walk into freedom. Wouldn't it be amazing if we enter into 2023 and this year comes to an end and we look back on the year and people go, how was the year for you? And instead of like, ah, it was just really weird, really kind of different. If we could say things like, oh, I felt so much freedom this year. I had absolute freedom and confidence in the things I did this year. I knew that what I did was God's will for my life this year. Oh, I experienced multiplication in my life this year. I had unprecedented growth this year. That's what could happen. In Mark chapter 4, we're going to end here today. Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a story. It's repeated in a few of the other gospels as well. And uh, it, it seems to be maybe one of Jesus' favorite stories. You have anyone in your life who's got a favorite story? And they just, you, they, you, you love it so much that you tee them up? You're like, oh, hey, Dan, yeah, Dan, come here. Tell the one about you with the golf course. They think, yeah, yeah, come tell them. It's like maybe this was one of Jesus' favorite stories. And uh, he found a way to get sort of teed up to this story. It was told enough that the disciples liked to retell it. But we find here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus telling this story. It pertains to our lives as gardens. It pertains to the enduring nature of truth that leads us into freedom. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, it says this. Are you there? Yep. Yes. 
says this, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat, he set it out into the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching, he said this, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly But because of the lack of soil, when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plant so that it didn't bear any grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, it produced a crop, and some multiplied to 30 times, some 60, and some 100 times what was planted. Whoever has an ear, let them hear. Then later Jesus said to his disciples, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? He's like, this was my basic reader's story. This wasn't even a chapter book. This was a picture book. He goes, let me, let me explain this to you. He goes, the farmer sows the seed. That's the word. That's truth. So in this metaphor, the word of God is the seed of truth in our lives. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away. The word that was sown in them never grows. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once, they receive it with joy, but since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke it out, making it unfruitful. But others, like a seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Let me propose to you that there are three primary reasons that we fail to live by truth. Three primary reasons that we fail to experience the freedom that comes in Jesus. In fact, I think these are prevalent enough that there are people who over time have said, I'm no longer engaged in my faith because I never saw the benefit anyway. I never actually experienced the freedom that God came. One of these things was true in their life. The first reason why we fail to live by the truth is the attack of the enemy. It's the attack of the enemy. It's the desire of Satan that you would never experience freedom, that you'd never have multiplication. In John 10.10, it says he's come so you could uh, experience being stolen from, destroyed, and die. He's come to steal, kill, destroy. That's the, the MO of the devil. And so he is always looking to just steal it from people. Have you ever felt that in your life? You're like, man, what, what even happened? I was doing so good, and now I'm just not doing good. What happened? Where'd my joy go? It's like, it's 9.30 in the morning. I woke up on the right side of the bed and somehow I'm already grumpy. What happened? Well, well, part of it, in fact, Jesus puts it first because it's so prevalent, is that we live in a constant spiritual battle. And it's the desire of the devil just to rob you, to rob you blind. So you come under attack. Right now, 
Uh, like, I, I'm always a sports fan, but this time of the year, my favorite sport is high school basketball, okay? I am, I am uh, like, I'm a Lakers fan for life, but in January and February, it's all about the Bulldogs, the, uh, the Sir Winston Churchill Bulldogs. I cheer for the grade 12 girls team, the grade uh, 10 girls team, the grade 8 boys team. Those are my, my, my teams, primarily. Uh, the week before lockdown, I was at 14 high school basketball games. It's a good week. Oh, 12? I don't know. And one thing you can, you can watch at, at that level is, is everyone's kind of got some skill. Everyone can handle the ball a little bit. Everyone has the ability to run their plays. Everyone has the ability to shoot to varying degrees. But the great teams can handle pressure. The great teams can handle and sustain under pressure. And, and you can just watch it taking place, watch it happening from the stands. And you feel like pulling out your hair because they apply a little bit of pressure. And there's always that team that just comes and you got the ball and you're holding the ball. Anyone play sports in the room? Anyone play basketball in the room? And you got the ball and you're dribbling up the four and then someone comes on you and they're like, dead, 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 dead. You've been there? Tumba, you've been there? Were you that guy? You were that guy, weren't you? You were the full court press guy, weren't you? <laughs> and, and under that pressure... So many just go, ah! they can't do it. They can't live under that, that pressure. That's what the devil does to you and I. He's just in our face going, dead, 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 dead. Constantly looking to steal from us, to destroy us, to take from us. How do we combat that? Well, here's a few things. Instill some practice in your life. Instill some discipline in your life. Make prayer a regular priority in your life? How about devotion, journaling, talking with one another, having community together? That's how we develop the muscle memory, the spiritual muscle memory, that even in the face of attack, we're just calm, cool under pressure. That, that's the difference. We're, we're always gonna have attack. But those who are calm, know, knows what happens if you're watching a game, pressure's coming, and if the pressure doesn't work, what happens? The pressure just kind of backs off. The enemy, in that sense, goes, well, this isn't working. I'm going to try something different. That's what happens the same in, in your spiritual life. The devil's just trying to rob you and to steal from you, and when you start standing up under that pressure with the full armor of God on, he goes, I'm going to have to try something different for this one. Didn't work that way. And then we come to the second reason that people fail to walk and to live in the truth. Second reason is a failure to put down roots. Failure to put down roots. To never be at home. To, to, to dodge in and dodge out of community. Oh, that was good. I'm just going to take a little bit of that, a little snack. Oh, well, that'll be good for the road. And then you're out. Man, you've got to make yourself at home. Eat the whole meal. Eat the whole meal, even the, even the courses you don't like. Like, like in our household, you're pretty much going to eat whatever mom or dad puts on the table. Everyone's eating everything. There are very few exceptions. Got to eat the whole meal. If we only ate the things we like to eat, what happens? You end up with, with a, a life that's not rooted anywhere. Engage in community. Be rooted. Uh, enough so that you go deep. I remember when I was in, in high school, I went uh, rock climbing with, with some friends and everyone kind of paired up. And so you had somebody climbing the wall and somebody else belaying them. Have you ever gone rock climbing? Anyone ever gone rock climbing? So everyone kind of paired up according to height. It's like the shorter people paired and then the medium and then taller. And I was paired up with a guy named Isaac. And Isaac and I were roughly the same height. We just weren't roughly the same weight. Isaac's 
waistband was a little bit bigger than mine at that time. Don't know how life has treated him. It's probably switched since then, but not at that time. And, and so Isaac was on the wall, and I, I, he was harnessed up, and the rope went over the pulley and came down to me, and I had it around my harness. I'm like, dude, I got you. I got you. I got strength. No problem. You fall, I could lift you up. No problem. But the truth was, his body weight was just more than mine. So when he began to fall, him falling began to lift me off my feet. I had the strength. I thought I had the ability to pull. I just didn't have the groundedness. I didn't have the weight. And for a lot of us, we're like, oh, I'm good. I got, I got the strength. I got plenty of strength. Your strength doesn't matter at this point. It's how, how grounded are you? How rooted are you? And there's probably like, oh, man, I know, and the devil's out to get me, and I'm, I'm always aware of it. Your awareness doesn't really matter. It's how good is your root system. We got to engage in community. We got to be, so this year, don't dodge in, dodge out. Be here. That's why I said, be here 52 times. I'm going to be away a few times. Okay, be away. That's fine. We got church at home. You can watch online. You know, when I, when I travel somewhere, I'm like, where's the good coffee spot I got to check out? Is there any quintessential food I got to try? Who's there a sports team I like? And, and, and is there a church around there? Because if I'm there, I'm, I'm going to check out a church. I got to be in the house of God. Be rooted and established. That's how you make it through. And when what happens? The, the sun scorches down on you. It's rootedness that keeps you going. It's not strength. You'll notice that in each of these stories, the seed is the exact same. The potency of the seed is the exact same. But it's people who can withstand under the attacks of the enemy because of disciplines, who are rooted in, in discipleship, devotion, friendship, community. And then thirdly, what's the third reason people don't walk in the truth? Is they take their eyes off Jesus. Notice Jesus' description of thorns. is just the deceitfulness of wealth and, and desires for other things. He doesn't say it's evil. He doesn't say it's nasty. All oh, these terrible lusts and these, oh, these awful, you know, sinful ways of thinking. He goes like, yeah, oh, yeah, good things. Just getting distracted by good things is like thorns that choke you out. Nothing wrong with wealth. But if you think wealth is going to make you happy, you just got deceived by wealth. And what will happen over time is just going to choke you out. Other things, nothing wrong with other things. Other things are great. But if you're more passionate about your sports team than your relationship with God, eventually it's just going to choke you out. If you're more passionate about your career, but my career is good, of course it is. But, but don't take your eyes off Jesus. If your focus is on building up your brand, it's going to eventually choke you up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because what happens when you endure? If you endure, you actually have the ability to produce a harvest in your life. So how do we combat uh, taking your eyes off Jesus? I'm going to give you this in one minute, okay? In one minute, we're going to close. How do we combat taking our eyes off Jesus? We cast all our cares on him. That's how. All of them. All of them. Even when you think, oh, I got this one. Include Jesus in it. Like, hey, Jesus, thanks for helping me have this one. I got this. Well, whatever that looks like, casting your cares on Jesus keeps your eyes on Jesus. And remember what it says in Colossians, your life is now hidden with Christ, so keep your heart and your mind set on Things above, not on earthly things. Cast all your cares on Jesus. Things that seem overwhelming, bring them to the Lord in prayer. Things that seem kind of exciting, bring them to the Lord in prayer. Make Jesus that friend that you want to tell your, your news to first, that you need advice from first. Bring it all to the Lord in prayer. You're never going to take your eyes off Jesus when you include him in prayer. Here's what I love about truth. 
Truth takes us from ignorance to knowledge. Truth takes us from complacency to action. Truth takes us from fear to faith. That's what freedom looks like. I know I'm acting on and I'm grounded in faith in this area. Can I pray for you? Cross through, why don't you bow your heads? Jesus, I love you. I'm grateful for your word. I pray that it would be alive in our lives and real. I pray for this community of people that as we commit to be in your house, as we commit to be in the word, may the seed in our lives produce incredible harvest. I'm asking right now boldly that some in the room would experience a multiplication of 30. And it's like, man, I held on to this one truth and I got 30 times more benefit out of it. That some would experience a 60-fold return. Like, man, it's wild. When I obeyed Jesus in eliminating this one thing, my life was replenished with 60 times more things. That some would experience a 100-fold return in their life. Uh, unspeakable, hard-to-fathom return where we'd say, man, when I made Jesus king of my life, I actually walked out the principles of the kingdom and found that they were good. For each of us, God, move us into action out of complacency, out of ignorance. We pray for this in your name. Thank you, Jesus. With eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, or you're not starting off this year with an assuredness that you're in a right standing with God, that you're saved, that you're in relationship with him, if that's you, no one's looking around, eyes are closed, heads are bowed, but would you raise your hands? Start the year right. Start the year with an absolute, unequivocal knowledge. I know who, whose I am. I know that I'm in a right place with God. If that's you, just raise your hand, wave at me. We're going to pray. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Awesome. We're going to start with assurance this year, okay? All across the room, let's make this our prayer today. Dear Jesus, today I'm answering your call in my life. Thank you for loving me. I trust you with my past, my present, and my future. I pray that this year you would cause truth to multiply in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're grateful for God's freedom, why don't you get up on your feet? The band's going to lead us in this course as we close today. Lord, send revival. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.